Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is Welcome to another episode of the Fire Tom Herman Podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. My name is Josh, and I am your host. Ordinarily, I'm joined by my co-host Noah, or sometimes my producer Tux, but it would appear that the forces of evil at TCU and the decommitment of Billy Bowman this week broke both of them, so y'all are just going to be stuck with me. So we're going to do this sort of semi-coherent rant style, like we're Bill Burr on the Monday morning podcast or something. Uh, I'll try and talk a bit about what I saw during that TCU game last week, and then we'll move on uh, to focus on this weekend's upcoming Red River shootout, uh, which is possibly the least hyped shootout in recent memory. Uh, Texas coming off the loss, obviously, against TCU, barely still in the top 25. I think they're number 22. While Oklahoma, who obviously still sucks, is sitting at just 1-2 on the year, with back-to-back losses to Kansas State and Iowa State, first time since 1998 that OU has lost back-to-back regular season games. So they're now an unranked team, despite the fact that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are not playing. With all those positive thoughts, let's just sort of dive right on into last week, and let's start off reviewing the hot takes. Noah's not here, he can't defend himself, so we'll, we'll, we'll go over what Noah had first. His first prediction for the TCU game was that Texas would turn the ball over three times, but would also get two interceptions. He was off on that. Uh, We had one interception and one fumble. Uh, Both of those were at about the worst possible time. Uh, The interception to end the first half, basically, for Sam Ellinger, uh, when we were looking to sort of take some momentum into half, uh, possibly grab the lead right before halftime, I think. Uh, and then obviously Keontae Ingram's fumble at the goal line on the one, driving in, looking like we're going to take the score late or take the lead late and possibly hold on and come out of a second clunker in a row with another win. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be obviously. So uh, only two turnovers. So not quite as bad as the three that Noah was expecting. A little pessimistic there, Noah. Good job. Um, But I think the timing of both of them, how poorly timed both of them were, uh, really makes it more painful than just being two regular turnovers. Uh, On the other hand, also came up short as far as the number of turnovers Texas would come up with. Uh, No interceptions, but Joseph Osai had a strip sack, and we were able to close a couple times. We were close a couple times on throws from Max Duggan, where he was disrupted in the pocket. Uh, had to short arm a throw or it got sort of batted up in the air Uh, but we weren't quite able to come down with any of those so I'll give him partial credit two interceptions by the Texas defense instead we had one strip sack uh, that we weren't able to turn into any meaningful points so as far as my hot takes my hot take was that in this game Texas would have fewer than eight total missed tackles on the entire day I didn't actually come up with a real count didn't go through and hand rewatch. Noah's usually the one who's much more detail-oriented about going through and rewatching the games. I did not do that, so missing out on that aspect of our show. But uh, I think in general, this was definitely a bounce-back game for the defense. Uh, tackling was a lot better. Not to say there weren't any missed tackles. They weren't perfect, and I think it's unfair to really expect them to be perfect 
Um, there will always be a couple missed tackles. That's that's just the reality of college football. Uh, but certainly a lot of bounce back after just the abysmal showing in Lubbock. So the one of the things I said was I, I talked last week about it needing to be sort of an aberration for the defense, that, that level of missed tackles uh, and all those issues that we had in Lubbock. I think so far um, through this massive one-game sample size that I was correct, uh, that that level of poor tackling is not going to be the standard for the defense this, this year, and we should not expect that level of uh, incompetence as far as tackling is concerned week in and week out. So uh, definitely a positive there. Probably close to the eight missed tackle mark, somewhere right around there. Uh, depends on who's counting. As I said, I did not do any counting. So to my memory, I don't recall saying anywhere near double-digit missed tackles for the Texas defense. For our next hot take, we're going to turn it over to the Fire Tom Herman hot take line. Let's see who called in this week. Hey, this is Rodney in San Angelo. Uh, Welcome on. I, uh, I can tell you my hot take is that uh, Keontae Ingram uh, does not have a, a fourth or a fifth gear. And watching him repeatedly get chased down from behind, uh, I mean, doesn't doesn't bode well for that position or for his position, uh, and definitely not for playing on Sundays. But I do feel like it all came down to coaching at the end. You got a guy in Keontae Ingram who went on that get good explosive play, got ran down from behind. They hand him the ball. He makes another good play. You got another running back in there, Roshan Johnson, fresh legs that could get in there and do the work. But instead, you give it, you give the ball to a guy who's tired, who's physically tired, and I'm sure mentally tired at that point because he assumed that his arm was six feet long and that he could stretch from the two-yard line across the goal line for the score. It was, it was a whole lot of mental lapses going on there. But it's the same thing in and out, week in and week out, is. Don't put your foot on the gas. Set it on cruise control. And like two miles an hour below the speed limit. That's that's how Tom Herman coaches. And he's, he's clearly, Mike Yurtis is clearly another Tim Beck where he's just, you know, doing what Tom Herman says. And it's getting very frustrating. And it's not good for my heart. It's not good for anybody's heart. So, you know, fire Tom Herman. Thank you, Rodney and San Angelo, for calling in. Uh, always good to hear from our community. You, you had a couple hot takes in there. Uh, we'll sort of talk through a few of them here. Your first one that you had there, Keontae Ingram does not have a fourth or fifth gear. And that is something that you think will hold him back, uh, not only at this level, but as far as his prospects at the next level. I would say, in general, uh, it seems like that's sort of come to fruition uh, that, that's shown up multiple times where it seems like Keontae Ingram uh, has broken one free. He's going to take it the distance, and he just doesn't have that that last bit of acceleration. He doesn't have the afterburners to turn to uh, when he needs to finish it off. That was the case late in the game against TCU. Had that big catch, tons of space, uh, and got run down. Admittedly, uh, Van Zant for TCU uh, is a 4-4 guy. He is an extremely quick uh, defensive player. And he was the one to run Keontae down. 
but yeah, he, he Keontae is not the speed back. He has enough speed to be explosive in sort of the short yardage areas. He's able to punch through the holes. He's pretty strong uh, as long as he's healthy. But yeah, definitely doesn't seem to have that that last gear that a lot of the like really elite running backs have. Maybe there's something there and he just hasn't found it yet. Um, but I think at this point, given the amount that he's played, the amount that we've seen from him, it seems pretty safe to say that that's, that's not there. And that that isn't something that I would say would necessarily hold him back at the next level. There's a lot of guys who play in the NFL who don't have that elite breakaway speed. And sure, they might not, those guys might not be the every down back or um, a premier back for any NFL teams. But I think there's definitely a market in the NFL for having that kind of reliability and short yardage, that ability to find the hole and, and fight for those extra few yards um, as you're getting brought down. So I guess I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's going to limit him significantly uh, as far as his possible future career is concerned. But yeah, you're absolutely right. No no last gear, no afterburners to uh, put away a long run or a long catch as we saw late in this TCU game. Uh, the next one that I want to focus on was, I think, really the spiciest take that you had in here. Mike Yersich is just another Tim Beck, and he's just sort of doing what Tom Herman tells him to do. I mean, definitely through the Tech game and the TCU game, there were portions of the game where it felt like we did sort of turn back to some of the problems that plagued us when Tim Beck was the offensive coordinator, and subsequently when Herman was having to operate his play caller when, when Beck wasn't getting it done. I think the, the one that comes to mind for everyone right off the bat um, is going to be there late in the fourth quarter. We had the lead. We had a chance to make it a two-possession game, really take control late, and we were unsuccessful. That could be because what we did seemed to be very much turning to that wanting to chew clock, wanting to, to sort of enforce our will on the defense. Tom Herman has talked about how he thinks it's an important quality in a football team to be able to put games away, to use that power run, uh, to sort of just take the game and just choke the life out of another team. And I really, really want this team to be capable of doing that. It, it makes a lot of sense on paper to be able to control the clock, just play keep away with the ball, and just efficiently grind out yards. That was something that we sort of settled into, something the offense was capable of doing uh, once we got deeper into the 2018 season. They found um, that ability to, to grind out the tough yards, really eat up a lot of clock, and, and close out games that way, with the exception of the Red River shootout, which we can talk about once we get more into talking about Oklahoma later in this episode. But instances like that, I can definitely understand why you would get that impression from Mike Yersich. The only thing that I would say is I wouldn't want to overreact to just that particular drive. There's that drive, and then obviously there was right at the end of the first half, uh, get the ball back with just under a minute to go in the first half um, after the interception and the defense holds TCU to a field goal. Had an opportunity to go down the field, try and get some points back before halftime. We instead choose to just kneel it out effectively and head to the locker room and regroup. A lot of Texas fans have always wanted us to be more aggressive in those situations, and I think a lot of the hope was that Mike Yersich would 
encourage Herman to take on that sort of that challenge to be more aggressive in those situations. And that didn't happen this week. And in those situations, again, I can definitely see why someone would think that Mike Yersich is just another Tim Beck. However, I think, especially in the TCU game, especially in the UTEP game, there were vast periods where there was far more creativity to the offense. Um, the, the first one that really jumps to mind for me, really good play design, was the throw that Sam made, the big throw that Sam made to Alvante Woodard. That was unfortunately called back on an illegal man downfield penalty. I think that one, you've got Brennan Eagles' long touchdown where the the play was designed to have Jake Smith basically clear out the deep middle of the field. Brennan Eagles just burns his, his the uh, guy covering him and more or less easy throw, easy catch, easy score for Texas. Those are things that short of basically just counting on Devin Duvernay to just outrun everybody. Those were not things that we saw under Tim Beck the last couple of years. That ability to scheme guys open is definitely more more Yursich and definitely not something that was indicative of being like Tim Beck. I think Mike Yursich has done a much better job making us more aggressive through the air. And I think he's doing a better job taking advantage of the athleticism that we have with all of our receivers. And I think part of that is also testament to the job that Andre Coleman has done to this point. He doesn't yet have Brennan Eagles kind of fully fully there yet, but they're making progress. We are seeing guys find their ways to get open more easily. Better routes are getting guys more open. That was sort of a calling card under Drew Merringer was it seemed like every single catch our guys were making were contested. And if we were going to get yards, it's because they made a play after the catch. Whereas now we are able to find more space. So I would not go so far as to say that Yursich is just blindly doing whatever Tom Herman tells him to do. But it's clear that Tom Herman definitely still has influence as far as the pace uh, at, at which we play and, and, and how quickly we're moving and settling into that sort of turtle um, offense that has driven Texas fans absolutely bananas basically since Herman got into Austin. But thank you, Rodney, for calling in. Again, always love to get voicemails from the community. Always love to inv- involve you guys in the show. So if you do want to be part of the show, uh, if you want an opportunity to hear your voice and hear us talk about your hot takes, uh, call 512-677-4578. That'll be the Fire Tom Herman podcast hot take line. Uh, I promise I will not pick up the phone. It will go straight to voicemail. Uh, do a short little lazy disclaimer that I recorded a couple years back and just just tell us what, what your thoughts were about the game, maybe about the refs, which we got several text messages this week that unfortunately we're not really going to talk our way through the text messages themselves. We will talk about the refs here soon. But, yeah, reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts. Love to get some of you more involved uh, whenever we can. But with that, let's, let's roll right into just sort of talking about more of the TCU game. And we'll definitely start off with the issues because there were, there were a lot of things to complain about here. And I think the biggest one that's going to really bother Texas fans the most is going to be the number of mental lapses we had. Obviously, the most glaring being Keontae Ingram at the goal line reaching for the end zone from the two-yard line, something that Rodney discussed on his voicemail as well, which apparently, based on talk in the in the past week, that is not something that the guys are coached to do. Apparently, it's emphasized that they should, in fact, never do that. 
it was it's just one of those lapses it's one of those instances where the player is trying too hard he's trying to do too much uh we it was first down we are clearly in a position to be able to score on this drive and i understand we wanted to go fast because we 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 found a matchup that we liked we found something that we could exploit uh we thought the offensive line was getting a good push first down going quick probably i mean 100% should not have been going fast in the first place. Should have been milking clock at that point. That's the other side of people getting frustrated with our tendency to turtle is we turtle at the wrong time and then instances where we obviously should, we suddenly don't turtle. So definitely understand those complaints there. But yeah, reaching for the goal line on first down shouldn't be reaching in the first place. Definitely shouldn't be doing it on first down. You're going to gain yards. We're going to be at the two, maybe the one-yard line, even if you don't reach. Maybe the one-and-a-half-yard line, even if Keontae doesn't reach that ball out. And it's going to be second down with like two and a half minutes to go in the game. Plenty of time. You're not going to turn the ball over. You're going to have another shot at it. Maybe Keontae's going to get out of the game. Bijan's going to come in. Uh, Roshan Johnson might be the one coming in. But just settle down, sort of be smart with the football. And that's a game that, despite all of the other issues that we had in that game, is a game that we win. Based on how the defense had been playing, uh, especially after the first quarter, I felt pretty confident that if we scored and took the lead um, by at least three, that we were going to hold on and win that game in regulation. The defense had played pretty well, contained pretty well. Um, Obviously, that last touchdown by Max Duggan was its own can of worms, but... For the most part, the defense had played reliably well, and I feel like that jolt of energy they would have gotten from taking a late lead would have been enough to seal the deal for us. The other mental mistakes that we had, obviously the wide receiver drops were really painful. Jake Smith, at the very least, dropped an extremely long gain on a pretty shallow crossing route. Wide open, good throw. He had a couple steps on his man, and he would have been off to the races, one of the fastest guys on the team. I don't know if he would have made it to the end zone, just because the TV angles made it hard to see where everyone was aligned, where blockers might have been downfield for Jake Smith. But at the absolute least, I think we can all agree that was going to be a very large gain. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that came on third down, killed the drive. Just one of those sort of deflating moments where it's this, this should have been something huge. And to consistently have drops in those areas hurts a ton especially in a game where it seemed like Sam was still a little bit shaky not quite as on target as we'd like for him to be but when the wide receivers are dropping balls like that it makes it extremely difficult for Sam to settle into that rhythm and be able to take advantage and exploit the defense especially one like TCU's where typically you have such high standards for how good a TCU defense can be I thought throughout that game that TCU's secondary especially was extremely poor, especially considering uh, if you listen to 4th and 5, their preview of the TCU game, they had some guy whose name I don't remember because I'm a disrespectful person from Stats of War talking up the two safeties as possible first, second round picks in the upcoming NFL draft. To have two guys that you hold in that high of esteem and for our wide receivers to find as much space in the secondary should be extremely alarming if you're a guy like Gary Patterson whose reputation is built on that defense. So it made it all the more painful for us to not be able to convert in those situations where we found space 
and we had gotten guys open and we were going to be able to make a big gain, possibly score. The final big mental lapse area, just penalties, penalties, penalties. Obviously, the refs had a ton of problems, a bunch of head-scratching decisions, the offensive pass interference against Jake Smith being a pretty weak one, calling offsides on the opening kickoff twice and making that opening kickoff have to happen three times, picking up flags that were called correctly, changing to the wrong call after initially calling a false start on TCU correctly and switching it to an offsides that was well after the false start. A lot of issues, but a lot of like legitimate procedural penalties that we had go against us, a lot of mental mistakes on the offense. And those are things that as explosive as we've already seen this offense can be, no offense will do well if you're going to continually shoot yourself in the foot. Uh, we took a game, again, like I said, that, that TCU defense was extremely porous. Tons of space for the wide receivers. Uh, running backs were finding room more consistently than they had all season. And we weren't able to take advantage because of those mental lapses and those bad penalties to take. So those are things that all need to get cleaned up. And it's one of those things that you really get concerned because it feels like we say this every week. Don't beat yourself. Don't beat yourself. And it feels like every week the team somehow is doing something to try and beat themselves. And at some point that becomes an indictment on Herman. And I think for a lot of people, those voices have grown extremely loud after this week. And for a lot of people, those had always been sort of thoughts in the back of their head. Like, why is this not getting better? Why are we still having these easy mental lapses hold us back? Why does that not seem to improve? Why is it every year we go, this is the year where the team puts it all together and things like this, things like this, games like this, it, it comes back to bite us. We have at least one of these every year, if not more. So just those consistently having those lapses, consistently beating ourselves just becomes insanely frustrating. I think the other issues that we had in that game, the linebacker play, Chris Ash talked at length about the the exact play where Max Duggan scored what ended up being the winning touchdown on a long run. Based on the alignment, both of our linebackers had their eyes on wide receivers, not on the quarterback. They were split out wide, so it was basically an empty it was basically empty behind the de- defensive line, which is why Duggan was able to take off and run, why he felt secure in doing that. That linebacking play, I think at this point, we can say pretty definitively is the most important thing for this Texas defense. If you think about all of the best defenses that we had over the last decade, talking about 2010 and 2011, 2014, 2017, all of those defenses are also going to be the defenses where we had our best linebacking play. 2010, 2011, you have Emmanuel Acho and Keenan Robinson, and that's between two uh, different defensive coordinators. You had Will Muschamp in 2010, you have Manny Diaz in 2011, and you have Acho and Robinson you're, as your two linebackers really anchoring that, that unit. In 2014, first year with Charlie Strong and Vance Bedford, all the things that fell apart for them on defense – In 2014, again, good linebacking play. A finally healthy Jordan Hicks. uh, Upperclassmen in Steve Edmond and Peter Jenkins. I think Edmond was an extremely highly rated recruit coming out of high school. Again, solid linebacking play. 2017, you have Malik Jefferson, Gary Johnson. This defense, it seems like for Texas, is predicated, no matter who the the defensive coordinator is, on the linebackers being extremely extremely good whether that's rushing the passer whether that's run fits whether that's 
containing the quarterback. And Noah's talked about his expectations for guys like DeMarvion Overshone, where he thinks Overshone has that athleticism to be as good, if not better, than Malik. And I think, as far as his athletic profile is concerned, Overshone can be that level of effective for Texas. But I think he's one of those guys, more than anyone else on the team, actually, who really needed a spring practice to settle into this new role. You don't have a true spring practice. You get a partial fall practice. Really hurts a guy who's spent his entire playing career playing safety, getting moved to will linebacker. So he's kind of getting baptized by fire in the run game, by mobile quarterbacks, all of the above. I think Overshone can get there, but we're stuck with these growing pains for a while longer as he just adapts to this this role that is brand new to him. So hopefully that's something we can pick up. I've been more impressed than I thought I would as far as Juwan Mitchell's play, as long as he's not getting a targeting call and getting himself thrown out of the game. Still has some of those mistakes, but I think I think these guys can be good enough to make this defense a more cohesive unit, but it is all dependent on their ability to step up. Juwan Mitchell, DeMarvion Overshown, and to a lesser degree, Court Jaquette. Uh, Court Jaquette, or I'm totally butchering that name. I'm so sorry. But being able to do that solidifies so many of our problems. And while they did fix a lot of those issues that they had against TCU, uh, there's clearly still more work to be done. Overshown still growing into that role. Hopefully that's something we see throughout the season. One of the other issues was our cornerbacks seem to still be getting beaten the same way that they were beaten early last year. And that's basically just comes down to they're in position for the most part. We're, we're not having these examples of busted coverage where a guy is wide open by 5, 10, 15 yards. We've got guys in the right place. Jamison, Green, Thompson, uh, Addy Mora from the nickel position. All of these guys are getting themselves in the right position. They're just not making a play on the ball. They're not getting their head around. They're not able to get a hand on the ball. Jamison had... One pretty notable one that honestly wasn't his fault. It was just a perfect throw from Max Duggan, which a lot of times when you're playing cornerback, the goal is oftentimes just to make it so that the only way you can get beaten is with a perfect throw. And on some of those, like the one that uh, Jamison got beaten on, I think that was early in the third quarter, kind of got to tip your cap because Jamison did a good job. He was looking back for the ball. He had his hands up. It was just perfect placement from Duggan. But again, another frustrating thing, a problem that we had last year, It's not like we turned over a whole bunch of new guys. Josh Thompson has been playing college football for a while. Deshaun Jamison, Jalen Green, both of those guys played a lot last year. And we're still having similar issues to the ones we saw last year. So one of the other issues that plagued this team. Uh, Finally, and I always feel bad sort of hammering on Sam when it feels like the expectation is already that he has to bail us out all the time. But if that's going to be the expectation, you can't have games where you're where you're missing throws. And like I said earlier, having all those wide receivers dropping passes, easy completions for big plays, makes it hard as a quarterback to really settle into that rhythm that you need to be able to be as effective as you can be, as we know that Sam Ellinger can be. Even still, need him to be able to find a way to fight through it when there are mistakes from the rest of the team. And be able to step up and play hero ball a little bit more than he already does, which again, I know is asking a lot of Sam to have to bail the offense out when everyone else is dropping the ball, literally. 
but we we just can't afford it at, at this juncture if we're going to have those problems we can't have sam missing throws in addition to the wide receivers dropping the ones that he does throw in time and on target but there were some things that we could definitely build on in that game things that were positive as i talked about with my hot take review from last week i thought the tackling was significantly better again there is no such thing as a perfect tackling game uh i think it's pretty unreasonable to expect that the defense is never going to miss a tackle however I thought that this defense, given what we saw against Texas Tech, took a lot of steps in the right direction. Not getting burned over the middle of the field is bad. The run defense outside of containing the quarterback run was pretty stout. And yeah, the tackling was a lot more sure. You had a lot of really good open field tackles. Again, Court Jacques had a really good one. Uh, Max Duggan broke contain, was trying to get outside, and Jacques makes a really good open field tackle to prevent uh, Duggan from picking up the first down. So I, I think that's the, the biggest thing that stood out to me. I think we can build on what this defense showed as far as its ability to tackle. The next area I thought was a big improvement for, from what we saw against Texas Tech was the offensive line. Didn't struggle nearly as bad with stunts, was able to get some push in the run game. We're still not quite where we need to be, especially if Tom wants to continue doing this turtle thing when we take the lead we need the offensive line to be able to enforce its will against defensive lines across from them they weren't quite to enforce their will levels against tcu but they were better um, so hopefully we can see herb hand keep that unit progressing keep them getting stronger smarter more cohesive because i think this is another unit that could be hurt by not having had this spring practice Playing offensive line isn't just a one-on-one matchup every single play. There's a lot to it where it is about chemistry within that unit. And as these guys play together more, you have Kerstetter still new to center. Um, Obviously, Christian Jones pretty much getting his first playing time this year. Denzel Okafor has been shaky when playing at either of the tackle spots. And then Junior Angelau was hurt for a portion of last year after he started several games. So, And then Sam Cosme's a rock. No issues with Sam Cosme, but as that chemistry develops, everyone else, it it won't be so obvious that just Cosme is super good as they get better at the the chemistry side of things and playing more cohesively as a unit. And then again, for for the wide receivers, talked about it when talking about Mike Yersich. I think we've done a really good job of finding a way to get our receivers open in space. Did a really good job against what is supposed to be on paper a good secondary, though obviously... As I've said, I came away from it pretty unimpressed with TCU's secondary, considering that they're supposed to have two of the best safeties in the country. But we were finding space, whether that was through good play design, good route running, just good technique um, from Andre Coleman teaching teaching the guys, coaching them up uh, more than Drew Merringer ever did in the past three years. I am not the expert, so I'm not going to be able to tell you which one is which or if it's some combination of all of them. But doing a lot better job, finding space, getting guys open, and then being able to capitalize from there is that next step we need to take. Get rid of those mental mistakes of the drops and really make defenses pay when we get those situations where we're able to take advantage like that. And then I think the other one, Deshaun Jameson for the punt returns and the several attempts at an opening kickoff he got, still showing that our return team is significantly better than it was last year. I know we went through the vast majority of last season with negative punt return yards. So far, punt returns and kick returns have been significantly better. 
I think that's something that, again, will continue to progress. I think this is the second game where Jamison has had a big special teams play get taken away by silly penalties. But I think there's still a lot of promise, a lot of reason to still trust that Deshaun Jamison can be a game changer, can be a big momentum guy when you need a big play from special teams, either to sort of be a nail in the coffin or to jumpstart the offense after a few sluggish drives. So yeah, I for as many bad things as there were against TCU, and there were several, I think that it's important that we still recognize areas where the team played well. And who knows what Noah would say if he was here as far as arguing or supporting these points. But to me, on this sort of now 35, nearly 35-minute long rant that I've been on here, I think there's enough to build on to where I personally am not as far off the Tom Herman train as it seems like the vast majority of Longhorn Nation is to this point already, which is ironic given that I run a podcast named the Fire Tom Herman Podcast, but as most of you I'm sure know at this point, that was supposed to be satire, and that TCU game ended up being one of the single best days as as far as the Twitter account, account is concerned in gaining followers. We picked up we finally broke 700. I think I picked up like 15 new followers just during that game. So, yeah, they're, they're joining up because they agree that Tom Herman should be fired. And my title was definitely satirical and slowly but surely getting closer and closer to being 100% serious at all times and not just in moments of anger where I'm particularly frustrated with something the team has done. But with that, I think that brings us to the end. Talking about TCU, leave it in the rear view. Move on to the next one. Team is hopefully way ahead of me on that and has been since Monday. Next up, we got, obviously, the Red River shootout this weekend. Number 22, Texas. Unranked, Oklahoma sucks. And I I think it's important that we always keep that in mind. That OU sucks always and forever. Doesn't matter if they're the number one team in the country or the number 130 team in the country or if they get knocked back to FCS or if they get called up to the NFL. The main thing that we remember is that Oklahoma sucks. Because right now, as I'm recording, it is 10 o'clock p.m. Central Time in Austin uh, on October the 8th. And OU does, in fact, still suck. But I think the big question on everyone's mind coming off this TCU game, coming off a miraculous should have been lost but instead was a win against Texas Tech is this truly a do or die game for Tom Herman is Tom Herman at that point where he is officially coaching for his job does Texas at this point really need to win out to make it to the Big 12 title game because you have the best quarterback that Texas has had in the last decade you have him as a senior in Sam Ellinger you have him in a clearly down year for Oklahoma the worst team that Oklahoma's fielded in at least a decade, possibly 20 years, possibly longer than that. I mean, 2014 was was the last time that Oklahoma didn't get 10 wins. Obviously, they can't do that this year, given the weird schedule uh, due to coronavirus. But they went 8-5 and five in 2014. And then before that, I think it was 2009 was the last time they didn't win 10 games. This OU team right now, especially when you consider the the issues they're having getting the run game going, the issues they're having with the offensive line staying together, the issues they're having with the defense coming back to coming back to earth after what was a hot start last year for their new defensive coordinator and Alex Grinch. This week of a Big 12, everyone 
was expecting Tom Herman and Texas to take that next step to win the conference. As it stands right now, 2-1, and 1-1 one, one and one in conference, that is still doable. You can still make the conference title game. You can still win the conference. But it's hard to say that it doesn't feel like a loss on Saturday would send this team into a tailspin. We've seen those issues with mental fortitude last year. Uh, things really spiraled after the TCU game last year. We cannot have that happen again. So I'm not going to go so far as to say that if Herman loses this game, he's definitely fired, but it definitely feels like things could snowball to that effect if we don't come out on top on Saturday. So hugely important game in what might be the least hyped Red River shootout in my lifetime, or at least in, in my, to my memory of being a college football fan and a fan of the University of Texas. Keys to the game. Uh, talked about this a little bit on the Longhorn Nation subreddit. Uh, shout out to Tux, always posting those uh, pre-game threads, or I guess um, like day early threads. I don't know what you, I'm blanking on what the name is, and I'm not going to click through to figure out exactly what it was. But those pre-game threads, uh, getting the community talking about keys to the game, what their ex- expectations are. Um, so help me sort of get my thoughts together. But the biggest one for me is we go into this game every year, especially since Lincoln Riley has been at Oklahoma, We all understand that Oklahoma is going to get their yards. They're going to score points. That's going to happen. No reasonable person is sitting here hoping we hold OU to a shutout, hoping we hold them under 10, hell, even under 20, hell, maybe even under 30 points. Because of that, it becomes extremely critical that we have as few and preferably zero empty possessions. You need points on every single possession. That's true in every game really in the Big 12 and it's what every football team in the country targets is always scoring on every drive but this is especially critical against Oklahoma we saw in 27 or in 2018 what what happens when you start getting complacent and you stop pushing to score every single drive you get Oklahoma charging back Kyler Murray going super saiyan bursting through the Texas defense closing down a 21 point gap and seemingly no time flat You cannot risk that against Oklahoma, even with the issues that we've seen from their offense so far this year. You have to continue to be aggressive on offense. So no empty possessions, and then no penalties to shut down those empty possessions. Those mental lapses have killed drives for us already this year. We cannot afford to do that against an offense as potent as Oklahoma. As bad as they are, they are still the number three offense in the country. Spencer Rattler has still thrown for 10 touchdowns in three games still throwing for something like 350 yards per game. So they're going to get their yards. They're going to get their points. So we got to make sure that we are doing that with more regularity. And with Spencer Rattler, we have to be smart with our pass rush. Obviously, we've talked already that the OU offensive line is not what they have been in the past several years. But with the athleticism and the mobility that Spencer Rattler possesses, but has not yet really shown on tape anyway, It is important that while we're getting that pass rush that we maintain gap integrity. Do not get so carried away with pursuit to the quarterback that you leave lanes for him to escape the pocket and take off downfield. Uh, Guys like Keandre Coburn, uh, Tavondre Sweat, uh, Moro Ojimo, probably some looks for Alfred Collins. Make sure to push the pocket up into Spencer Rattler's face. And as crazy as it sounds for a kid who has throwing for 350 to 400 yards per game this early in his career. I think 
what's important is you take away the run, take away his ability to scramble, and make Spencer Rattler beat you with his arm, which obviously Oklahoma is willing to play that game. But I think Spencer Rattler, four interceptions already, three of them against Kansas State, one of them against Iowa State, has that tendency to be turnover prone. That's something that you see from a lot of freshman quarterbacks, and I hope it's something that we continue to see uh, for the next two to three years out of Spencer Rattler. But I I would say, being that this is his first rivalry game, and even though the atmosphere won't be what it typically is down in the Cotton Bowl, force a turnover-prone Spencer Rattler to win the game for Oklahoma. Shut down the run, shut down his ability to scramble, make him beat you with his arm. And I think that's something that this Texas defense is capable of, especially the defensive line, which I think has been by far the most consistent unit on the entire team to this point. So as long as as I think Osai can have a big day, I think those interior linemen like Coburn, like Sweat, those guys can have a big day. They just got to be patient, hold up with the gap integrity, do not let Spencer Rattler out of the pocket. And then if we do need Juwan Mitchell or DeMarvion Overshone to be playing with their head on a swivel so they know uh, that they need to shut down whatever scrambling he might be doing so that those instances where he breaks contain are only five, six-yard gains rather than 15, 20-yard conversions where we thought we were getting off the field. So the over-under on this game is 72.5. Oklahoma, at the time of recording, is favored, a two-point favorite over your Texas Longhorns, um, which is wild considering we're the ones who are ranked and not Oklahoma, and our best win was a lot better than their only win. So not really sure who in Vegas is betting on this, but... Definitely hoping they're wrong. Um, I'm thinking that over-under is it right at the right spot. Uh, personally, my score prediction for this game, 41-31 Texas. I'm going to say the defense steps up and does enough. I'm not going to say that they make a ton of plays. And 41 points, that's going to have a couple empty possessions in there for Texas, given the, the speed and, unfortunately, given how porous Oklahoma's defense is. I, I feel like they're going to make enough plays as well to keep it relatively close. I'm hoping with this 41-31, it's not an instance of us sort of throwing a touchdown on top to make it a 10-point game late to sort of put it away, but I'm hoping it's sort of one of those arm's length where it's you keep it about 7-10 to 10 point gap the entire way and you sort of float around in that area. So if we can jump out to a 10-0 lead and then sort of just maintain roughly that 10-point gap, that's how I would prefer for it to happen. I think that's how all of us would prefer that it happen because it's going to be stressful enough. But to to set it up that way would make it a lot easier on everybody. So for that reason, I'm making that prediction. But at the same time, I know full well now that I have that it's not going to be like that. We're going to trade scores all day and something heartbreaking will happen. And I'll be recording another angry or sad or disappointed or really, really, really short podcast as an instant reaction on Saturday. Uh, Finally, hot take prediction. Obviously the most important part of the show My hot take prediction, Jordan Whittington has been back in practice this week. Uh, I think this is the game for him to break out. I think this is the game where Jake Smith bounces back from that drop against TCU. So Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith, with their powers combined, more than 200 yards all-purpose, and at least three touchdowns total between the two of them. So big-time plays from the slot, hopefully going to have space. 
OU's secondary, very small. I hope we see a lot of what we saw in the fourth quarter against TCU where we were lining up our tall tight ends like Malcolm Epps, like Jared Wiley out wide, getting those mismatches and forcing Oklahoma to use their lack of defensive talent to try and cover guys as quick and as shifty as Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington with linebackers or nickelbacks who absolutely cannot keep up with that speed and quickness that those two possess. But that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening to me rant. Very, very alone. I hope it wasn't any more brutally stupid than our usual content. Uh, And hopefully a Texas win Saturday will convince Noah or Tux to take a step back from the ledge. Join me for our next podcast. We have a bye week after this weekend, so maybe having some time to breathe will be good for everyone. But in the meantime, make sure to follow us on Twitter at at the FTH podcast. And the past few episodes I've forgotten to mention, we did start an Instagram page. You can find us at that same tag, at the FTH podcast. Uh, I've been mostly just using that Instagram account to share our recruiting and game day graphics that have been also on Twitter. Um, But just one more way for you guys to interact with the show. Um, Remember to call or text in to the Fire Tom Herman podcast's hot take line. That phone number, 512-677-4578. Again, that's 512-677-4578. And remember to subscribe to and review... Uh, the entire Hornscast channel that obviously we're part of. Um, let us know on the platform of your choice, whether that's Spotify, Google, uh, Apple Podcasts. I think we're now on Amazon, probably on Stitcher, Overcast, all those crazy podcast platforms. Um, subscribe to us, review us, let us know how we're doing. Um, make sure you check out the other shows on the network that probably most of you already listen to, uh, especially 4th and 5. See how William and Darius are doing over there. Um, I know they already posted their TCU breakdown and their OU look ahead. So um, in the meantime, we will see you on the other side of this weekend. Uh, Possibly we'll be posting our reaction episode, our real sort of thought through reaction episode to the Oklahoma game during the bye week. uh, Given that you will not have Texas football to watch, probably should give you a little bit of Texas football related content uh, to help pass the time. And hopefully you'll be craving that because we did not lose and we had a big Red River win. To that, you know, saves our season, saves Herman's job, uh, all that good stuff. But uh, hopefully you won't have to hear a sad or angry instant reaction podcast this week. Um, honestly, if it has to be sad or angry, I probably won't record anything. I will probably just post last week's podcast. Uh, that was extremely high-level content, very cerebral Um I'd like to think it's sort of the Rick and Morty of podcast content. But until next time, y'all, hook them, and OU still sucks. <laughs>